what are the barriers that cause people to have difficulty in joining a project? Some of the barriers are inappropriate documentation to be able to actually understand what the project really is and get it going in your own environment. Barriers that sometimes get referred to are communities that might not be as welcoming in terms of the kind of responses they give to initial messages that people send. Welcome to OWASP 24-7, sponsored by the Open Web Application Security Project, improving the security of software. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide. Additional support provided by CatScan from Proactive Risk. Uh, my name is Gail Murphy, and I'm a professor in computer science at the University of British Columbia. My research area is software engineering. The interesting thing, Gail, that I found was you had an article on open source components in the supply chain, software supply chain, and you were talking about communication patterns. Yeah, we really started out trying to understand uh, what happens when people try to depend on an open source component. So we were interested in understanding if those who are going to use a component, first of all, interact with the project in a social way by asking questions or understanding what the project is before they make a technical dependence, or whether it's kind of the other way around. Do they actually make the technical dependence on the component and use it and then maybe interact with the project? So we we did a large-scale study on GitHub, um, trying to understand what the patterns were and when people got involved in a project or didn't. Any surprises? There were some surprises for us, actually. Um, You know, in about half the cases, we found that the use of the component really didn't involve any social interaction. But in the other half of the cases, if there was a dependence made on a component, then there ended up being some social interaction that did occur. And surprising to us was when that social interaction actually happened. We thought it might usually happen after the fact, but in fact, the opposite kind of happened. In 40% of the cases, there was some engagement with the developers of the component before there was an attempt to actually go forward and use the component. As you were thinking through and you, you saw that process, Gail, was there anything that you saw that would trigger somebody reaching out to the developer? Usually the triggers were things like wanting to know if a particular feature was going to be on the roadmap for the component. Um, That was probably the the most common one where there was some interaction that happened forward with with the developers before using the component. And you chose GitHub as the platform to investigate. Why did you choose that platform? We were looking for a repository that had enough projects to be able to look for trends. And one of the factors that we needed to do the analysis is we wanted to have both the access to the source and issues of the project that was using the component and the component itself. So we needed some sort of repository that had enough information, and GitHub was a place we could find that. From a developer's point of view, if I'm a developer, do I want that kind of feedback coming in from people? I would hope so. I would hope that if 
one is developing in an open source community that you would like to know the directions that your potential user base would like to see the project go? What I would like is some kind of insight is, as a developer, how do I get people to participate in my project? You know, there's other research going on out there in the software engineering community and, and HCI community looking at that question, mostly from the point of view of what are the barriers that cause people to have difficulty in joining a project. Some of the barriers are inappropriate documentation to be able to actually understand what the project really is and get it going in your own environment. Barriers that sometimes get referred to are communities that might not be as welcoming in terms of the kind of responses they give to initial messages that people send. I think the documentation aspect is interesting to me because we've talked a lot in the past about self-documenting code. Is that not happening enough to actually create the documentation yet? I think sometimes the barrier is even before that. You know, people often want to try out the, the component or the project. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just getting your build environment up in order to be able to play around with the code is sometimes a barrier before you even look and see what the code is doing itself. Dr. Mark Palliard is your colleague on this paper. Are you and Mark working on extending this? Are you continuing the research? We are. We've been, we've been trying to extend our analysis. In particular, our first analysis focused on Java projects, and we're currently running the same kind of analysis on the Ruby community. Oh, that'll be huge. Yeah, it's very interesting to start seeing the results percolate in. They're not quite firm enough to, to really talk about yet. But, you know, looking at multiple communities is really important to see if there's particular aspects of a programming language or a community that might be causing differences compared to, to different technologies. It seems to me that the Ruby community would be almost organic as compared to Java. Java is going to be formal training you know, certification where, in my perception, Ruby is something that you start using at home and gradually grow into it. Well, another difference is the size of the community. So I think with the Ruby community, there it may be that there's more interaction between the projects because mm-hmm. some of the projects are smaller. Um, and in the Java community, being a bit older and broader, we can look at different trends of how people get involved. One of the things that you're saying is I can get better community interaction through documentation, actually documenting my project. And that seems to be true all along the way for any type. Anytime I've used software or tried to use something new, documentation always seems to be the issue. Are you finding that true? Yeah, I'm not sure it's as much documentation as being able to really easily try stuff out and run it. And, and those two things go somewhat hand in hand. But instead of lots of documentation about what the project's about, making it really easy for people to to get it running in their own environment and start playing with it seems to be really important. I know it's outside the purview of the research that you're doing, but has there been any talk in your circles about uh, the security of open source components? Yeah, I mean, I think that comes up all the time, you know, particularly in, in the form of mobile mobile applications. Well, I think we all have concerns about what kind of data people might be be getting access to. Perhaps the fact that we don't seem to have enough good uh, standards or practices or patterns to really teach people, since I'm also involved in, in the teaching of software engineering, to teach people how to build things securely. That's huge. I've been talking to Chensi Wang 
for years about the educational process. You as an educator, how are you integrating software security into the curriculum? You know, not very well. I, I think it just comes down to the fact that it's it's very hard to get access to understanding uh, the field because it's moving pretty quickly. So for all those people out there that, that are experts in security, if, if there can be resources provided to talk about some of the, the common issues, to provide examples that would be useful for students, um, particularly here's something unsecure, you know, go find out what the problem is. Here's a, a thing that you could build. Here's a pattern to try to build it. Those kind of little exercises would be, would be really huge. You're up in Vancouver. Is there a good technical community up there? Absolutely. I think Vancouver is kind of a growing tech hub. There's always been a lot of activity, but we're seeing quite a, quite a surge, I think, in, uh, in seeing companies both start and, and companies emerging from being really small to growing to be larger. I know that when Hong Kong, this is almost as an aside, but I know that when Hong Kong uh, changed over, a lot of the Hong Kong chefs came over to Vancouver. You guys got have some remarkable food because of that. I'm wondering if there was a tech flow in during that time, too. Uh, you know, I think the tech flow has ebbed and flowed. A lot of it has actually kind of grown at, at home. You know, being on the West Coast and, and having lots of people exposed to, to what's going on in the Valley, I think uh, you're just starting to see that, that move up the coast and uh, get across the border as well. You know, it may be odd to ask, but are you an open source proponent? Uh, you know, I think there is definitely times when you need a lot of open source, and there's times when closed source makes sense, and we have to figure out the right places that software should be open and when it should be closed. Yeah, the from the closed aspect, it's kind of hard to build an extended community. I think that's one of the advantages of open source is to get that extended community participation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's times where if you're building software for a bank, then maybe maybe it's not open is not the way to go. If people were to start following you and Mark's work, what could they anticipate to see in the next year? That's a great question. You know, I think you're going to see us delve into... What's really going on when people try to use open source components, mostly from this social kind of perspective? And what does it take to both get the components used? And what as a component developer do you need to do to, to make your project popular? Anything else you would like to cover that you're working on? You want people to know anything like that? You know, happy to have people reach out if they're interested in in what we're doing or think that they can contribute in particular ways. And uh, I can be found on email and Twitter as well as Mark. And uh, we like to hear from, from the people and understand what they would like to see in, from the research community. You have been listening to OWASP 24-7 with your host, Mark Miller, and music provided by the George Cole Quintet. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide. Additional support provided by CatScan from Proactive Risk. <laughs>